Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. This morning, I want to continue what's beginning to feel like an eternal series. (laughs) I don't know if it's just my ADD or what, but I'm already tired of my own series. (laughs) Not really. Not really. This is what the Lord has said, but I I, I keep thinking, I find myself thinking, Lord, what's next? What's coming next? Well, we got to finish this one until we can get to what's next. We've been talking the last several weeks about uh, building this house When the Lord called us here, he began to lay out some things for us, and he used the illustration of a house and the construction of a house. And so we've been, in the last few weeks, talking about this. The key verse has come from Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and 48. Um, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, I focused mainly on the first part of that verse, that we have to dig deep and lay the foundation right. And so we talked about the blueprints The first week we talked, the second week, or second two weeks about how we must embrace the process. The verse for that was found in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I like that phrase, being built up. There's a process that's implied there, and we want to embrace that process. We talked last week about the fact that we must have the right tools We must have a united presence. We must have clear thinking. We must have purposeful service. We must have intentional excellence. We must have empowered character. We must have sacrificial living. And we must have genuine spirituality. The next step in this process of illustration is that we have to have the right materials. You have to build out of the right things. You can't just build out of anything. Now, I was doing some research, and I love old churches. I think they're fascinating. I don't want to worship every Sunday in one, but I love to walk in old churches. This is a stained glass window from a church in Augsburg, Germany, and this stained glass is over a thousand years old. This glass has remained, I don't know how old we are as a country, 300 years, not even, 250 This stained glass has lasted four times longer than our country has existed. And I was looking at it, and first I think it's interesting. The colors draw me in. The characters draw me in. But I'm thinking more in terms of what must this have been built out of that it still stands today a thousand years later. This is a combination of various materials put together in such a way that it has it has stood the test of time. It has maintained. In in fact, uh, this very near this where bombs were dropped in Germany, and yet this still standed while some of the other parts of the building fell. They've had other things have been added onto it, but this particular set of stained glass is almost a thousand years old. 
It's hard for me to wrap my head around that thought. And yet I think when they put it together, what must it have been constructed out of? See, we don't want to build just for the next two years. We don't want to build for the next three years. We want to build in such a way that what we build has longevity, has durability, and is effective in what it is that we're building it to do. This stained glass wall was built with the right materials. It has lived a long time. It has endured a long time, and it is beautiful. I want to go see it one day. I want to go find it now that I've preached about it and look at it and think this thing is a thousand years old. A number of years ago, Amy and I got the privilege of going to England. I have family. My dad is English. Most of you have met him or at least seen him. And we have family that stays there. We went and visited, and I went to a church that was completed in 1100 A.D. To stand in a place that is that old is humbling. It's awe-inspiring. It's incredible. And then I always inevitably think, what did they build this out of? And so today, I want to talk to us a little bit about the things that we need to build our church out of. Some of these things and, and, and the tools kind of go hand in hand. But the reality is we have to build out of the right materials. So the first material that I think we need is authentic gratitude. Authentic gratitude. The reality is, is that everything begins with our gratitude. Everything when it comes to Jesus begins in what we celebrated this morning. Authentic means not false or copied. It means genuine. It means the real thing. So not just any gratitude. You know those people that, are, that, are, uh, that express gratitude, but you always wonder in the back of your head, are they really thankful or are they just telling me thankful? Do they want something from me? Is that why they're being nice to me? Authentic gratitude. Gratitude simply means being grateful or thankful for something. When we couple to do together, it means that our thankfulness, our gratefulness is real. It's genuine. This morning, that's what I encourage you in as we took communion, because authentic, authentic gratitude is our starting point. Everything that we do with Jesus begins, at least in my world and everybody that I've ever found that's been healthy and been a good representative of Him, begins with, I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done for me. And that only counts when it's real. I, don't, I want to read to you John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, oh, we know this verse, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. There is a reason that John 3, 16 is the most famous verse in Scripture. If you've grown up in church, you've memorized this multiple times. There's a reason for that. I want to remind you of the absolutely shocking reality that this verse reveals to us. For God so loved the world. It's not because God hated the world that He sent Jesus. I fear at times that Jesus is misrepresented. His motives are misrepresented. His purpose is misrepresented. He loved the world, and that's why He gave Jesus 2 Corinthians 9.15 describes it as an inexpressible gift. Jesus was given as a gift to us so that if we would just believe in Him, we wouldn't perish 
but that we would have eternal life. I don't know about you, but if you've grown up in church, it's real easy to take the awe out of this verse because of its familiarity. He desires that we would not perish. And I don't know about you, but when I found Him, my fear of perishing left me. When I really met Him, I grew up in church. There were a lot of years I had not met Him. Going to church is not the same as meeting Him. But when I met Him, that fear left. Now, when I was naughty, there was still a little fear, let's be honest. But that was more fear of punishment and judgment and and, and consequences than it was necessarily fear of Him. That fear of judgment left me because something replaced it. It was His love that replaced it. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Don't miss the last bit. Through Him. See, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. We're trying to introduce people to Him because our salvation comes through Him. We can't stop just the saved part. We've got to get all the way to the through Him part. Authentic gratitude is our starting point. Authentic gratitude is the foundation of our worship of Him. I was reading this week, Psalms chapter 103, verses 2 to 5, says, I will not forget your benefits. And then he goes on to list the benefits. He forgives, He heals, He redeems, He crowns, He satisfies, He renews. The benefits of knowing Jesus are incredible. I, as as a kid, worried about the judgment, and I forgot that there was incredible things that come with knowing Him. I, When I know Him, I am forgiven. I am healed. I'm redeemed. I'm crowned. I'm satisfied, and I'm renewed. That's an incredible list of benefits for us who know Him. My worship rises to Him because of the benefits of knowing Him. When we gather together, when we enter into a time of worship, if I will still my mind, still my heart long enough to remember what it is that He does for me, my worship begins to flow freely because there are incredible benefits of knowing Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, I want to read this to you. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And thus, as a result of that gratefulness, as a result of His kingdom that cannot be destroyed, as a result of His kingdom cannot be shaken into pieces, therefore and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You know, what's interesting about that statement to me, with reverence and awe, in America, that means we sit very quietly and very stilly. But in Africa, that means if you ain't running and yelling and dancing, there's no reverence and awe for God. It doesn't compute in my brain. You've noticed by now, I'm white. I used to say that to the Africans and they thought that was really funny. I can't dance. More importantly, I shouldn't dance. I don't, you know, I, some people make a joyful noise to the Lord. I don't know what ugly dancing is to Jesus, but I, it's not even mentioned, so I, maybe it's out completely. Should not ugly dance for Jesus. Just go sit down and be quiet. <laughs> no, but, but there is this idea that reverence and awe means that we can't express ourselves, means that we can't get excited about Jesus. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I can yell at the Green Bay Packers on the TV screen, I better be able to yell for Jesus. So I want to encourage you. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be authentic. 
I don't want us just running and yelling like crazy people for, for no good reason. But the reality is we also need to recognize that reverence and awe doesn't mean we sit still and do nothing. Oh, Jesus, I worship you. I think you're incredible, Jesus. I think you're awesome, Jesus. And for some people, that is authentic, and that's okay. For me, <laughs> it's got to be a little volume for it to be authentic for me. And the church is made as all kinds, right? What we need is authentic worship. I would encourage you to stir that up. I would encourage you to stir up an attitude of worship. It comes from a place of gratefulness. I want you to see the progression here. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Ah, this idea of cannot be shaken. I want to I preach on it and make, come back to that at some point. It cannot be shaken. It means that His kingdom is undefeatable. Thus, because of this, because we've received it, because we didn't earn it, because we couldn't, uh, couldn't do enough to get it, we're, we're being given it by grace, we're being given it by faith. Therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. David danced before Jesus. David danced in his underwear before Jesus. Don't a single one of you think you should dance in your underwear in church. That is not what I'm saying. Let me be very clear. Underwear dancing is at home in a closet of some kind. Your spouse doesn't even want to see underwear dancing. No, we're getting near dangerous territory now. Jesus, help me. I'm, I'm working on my sanctification, okay? We're getting there. God desires authentic gratefulness because authentic gratefulness leads to authentic worship. And authentic worship opens us up to His Word, His Spirit, and His influence. When I approach Him with gratitude, it comes out as worship. And my worship ends up opening the door to Him. The reason we take time to worship on Sunday morning is not because we got some people who really like to play instruments and sing. Did you know that? The reason we do worship is because it reframes us. In the, in the book of Psalms, and I'm forgetting it, so I've got to go find it. Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, it says that the Lord was enthroned on the praise of Israel or on the praise of His people. We are modern-day Israel, so therefore He is enthroned. He inhabits, some translations say, the praise of His people. What that means is when we praise Him, He comes into the room and He sits as Lord and God on the throne of our hearts. So if we don't praise Him. He has no place to sit and rule and reign. I praise Him because I can't help it. I praise Him because it opens me up. I praise Him because it gives Him place in my life. The reason we worship on Sunday mornings is not because it's kind of cool to do. We do it because it reframes us and resets our minds so that we are open to His Word, we're open to His presence, we're open to His voice. That's why we worship on Sunday mornings. And it's not necessarily about your physical position, but I would suggest to you that it's much easier to be unauthentic in worship when you're sitting and not singing. It's easier to be authentic in your worship when you're engaged physically. My physical frame affects my worship. It's just all there is to it. And I have watched people sitting in silence that have such a deep worship happening that I would never want to disturb that. I've seen people who are running and jumping and shouting who are as authentic as, well, Fong Kong Buffalo. 
Sorry, there's a South African expression I'll have to explain later. I've seen people that run and jump that aren't authentic as well. I've seen both spectrums. The question is, what is it for you? Because we want to build this place out of authentic gratitude that turns into authentic worship. The world's seen enough disingenuous Christians. What we want to build this place out of is those who are authentically grateful for Jesus and what He's done for them. The first thing that we have to use to build our house out of is authentic gratitude. Second thing that we need to build our house out of is abundant generosity. I don't feel like I need to define these terms. We understand the concept of abundance. It's overflowing. It's more than enough. And generosity is that act of of taking what we've been blessed with and giving it away. Abundant generosity flows from our gratitude and it utilizes His enriching. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, I want you to read them with me. Did I have them there, Ken? Oh, got scared. I'm, I'm sometimes forgetful to put the right slides in. Jesus, help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You can go back to that one, Ken. Thank you. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The purpose of God's enriching is so that we can be generous. That enrichment that He gives you, this specifically means finances. It's talking about money here. And people get funny when we talk about money in church. Can we just say that? Listen, my, my first pastor used to say, I want your money. I don't, wanna, I don't want there to be any doubt. I want your money. <laughs> I used to think, Pastor, please don't say it that way. But then he would usually follow it up with, because I know what I'm doing with it. I'm investing it in the kingdom. I'm building the kingdom with it. I believe in what we're doing as a church, so I'm okay to ask for the money. I thought, man, that's, that's terrifying but powerful. He has enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I like that there's every way there because we can be enriched in a lot of different ways. We can be enriched with our own personal giftings. We can be enriched with the Spirit. We can be enriched with finances. We can be enriched with joy. We can be enriched with peace. We can be enriched with hospitality. I'm going to talk about some of those things next week. But we can be enriched in every way so that we can be generous in every way. You won't be enriched in every way, but we collectively can be enriched in every way so that we can be generous in every way. The purpose of God's enrichment is our generosity. If you're not experiencing His enrichment, I would ask you, where is your generosity? I would suggest that in most cases, you lack enrichment because you don't have a generous spirit. We have been enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to us. Is that what it says? See, the key is when we don't care about getting credit and we care about giving the Lord credit, then incredible things are going to happen. I don't want to be generous so that people can say to me, Pastor Stubbs, you're one of the most generous people I know. Well, thank you very much. I want to be generous so that God gets the credit. 
because then He'll continue to enrich me. Do you see the process there? God enriches me out of His abundance. When He gets glory, He enriches me again. I'm generous. He gets glory. He enriches me. I'm generous. Do you see that cycle that happens there? We have to recognize that abundant generosity flows from our gratitude. We will be enriched in every way to be a blessing. Abundant generosity reflects the purpose of God's blessing. I read it to you earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, be rich in good deeds so that we can take hold of that which is life. We want to be abundant in generosity because it reflects the purpose of God's blessing. God's going to bless you because He wants you to be a blessing. That's His reason for blessing you. So if you're not a blessing, if you're not being blessed, then maybe you need to look at that dynamic. Abundant generosity results in service. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, As each has received a gift, use it to build up your own wealth. Is that what it says? Oh, use it to give to Pastor Chris. Isn't that what it says? It says use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That very grace implies that there's more than one kind of gift that we can receive. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about each of us as a gift next week. But as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Our abundant generosity results in service. Winston Churchill said, We may make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We may make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. There's some truth to that man who I'm not entirely convinced walked with Jesus. <laughs> the second thing that we need to build our house out of is abundant generosity. The third thing that we need to build our house out of is purposeful connection. Purposeful connection begins with God. We want to be intentional. We want to do something on purpose in our connections. How we connect to God is the first of those connections. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our connection is not just one of master and servant, although that language is used. Our, 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 our relationship is not one of master and slave, although sometimes that language is used. Paul favors the language of adoption. He says, but to all who did receive. This word receive is one-time event. I received him sometime in the past who believed in his name. Now, we see that in past tense, but in the original language, it literally means to have believed and continue believing. See, we don't really have that tense in English, but in other languages, they have a tense that means that something happened and continues to happen. I love you, I loved you, but I continue to love you. Most commonly in South Africa, they would say, I, I thank you. Caleb Ohile is the, is the word, but it means I thanked you and I keep thanking you. This word believed means I believed it and I continue to believe it. So all who received him, that's a point of time where I received him, who believed and continue to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This concept is amazing to me. Once we receive him, once we believe him, we then have earned the right to be considered his children. That blows my mind. 
that we get adopted into his family. Paul loves the adoption language because it implies it's not just that somehow we're just barely okay. We're one of the family members now. We have access to the Father because we have family member status now. That's amazing to me. My connection first is to a God who loves me so much that he sent his son so that I could receive him, so that I could believe and continue to believe on him, so that I could become his child. Amazing. Galatians chapter 4. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That word redeem is what we do when we buy something at the store. My money is redeeming whatever I'm purchasing. He paid for us and takes us because we were under the law. We needed a payment. I couldn't pay it, so he paid it. My connection redeems me. Galatians 6.1 talks about a returning, a restoration. I don't have the verse Galatians 6.1 talks about how He restores us. This word literally means, is the word they use when they describe mending of nets. You're returning it to full function. When the fisherman's net broke, the net didn't function fully. So when they mended the net, they returned it to full function. That's what it means when He restores us. My connection to God when I receive Him, when I believe on Him, results first in my redemption, a change of status, a change of ownership. When I go down to the store and I pay money and I pick something up, I am now the owner. I have redeemed this item from the shelf and it's now mine. This, by the way, to all young people is why Jesus doesn't let you get away with anything. It's because you're His. I remember all the time I had young people be like, Pastor Chris, why do my friends get away with everything? I get away with nothing. It's because He bought you. And so you're His. He owns you. We get a change of ownership, but not only does He own me, I actually get a change of identity. I move from being outside the family as to a member of the family. And when I remember the benefits of being inside the family, what was outside is rubbish. What's inside is fantastic. Sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> it feels like Jesus is always poking at all the things that are wrong with me. But He does it because you're His, and He wants you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. That's why He pokes. We are restored. We are returned to full function. Our purposeful connection begins with purposefully connecting with God. Second kind of connection is the connection with each other. Our purposeful connection with God flows to a purposeful connection with each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This word bear literally means to carry something heavy. You know, when we carry heavy objects in the United States, we like to be to be strong ourselves, and we want to pick something heavy up. Africans never carry heavy objects by themselves. It's one of the coolest things you'll ever see. Usually it's a bag that has the heavy object in it, and instead of one person wrestling with it, he finds a friend and they pick up each handle together. 
So all the time you will see people walking down the street, and if there's a heavy object to be carried, one person is never carrying that heavy object. It's always two people. They have a friend who's going to pick up the other side of the handle with them and carry that heavy object together. It was one of the weirdest things when I saw it, but it makes so much sense when you see it. Like, why would I struggle with a heavy thing when I got a buddy next to me who can pick up the heavy thing with me? We live in a world where people want to carry their own heavy things. Dear Lord, help the church not to be a place where we feel the need to carry our own heavy stuff. I want to be a place where we say, hey, I'm going to carry that burden with you. The burden of raising your children to families. We want to carry that burden with you. The burden of, uh, uh, of single mothers. We want to carry that burden with you. The burden of being a human being. Sometimes it's all I can do just to be alive. I want someone who will help me, help me carry me. Her name is Amy. Thank Jesus. All right. I want to be a place where we can carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Jesus. The law of Jesus is you got to help carry each other's stuff. That may mean that we need to look into the bag and see what kind of stuff you're carrying around and deal with a few things. Some of you are hoarders. You need to, you need to get rid of some stuff. doesn't mean that we leave the bag heavy when we can offload some of that stuff. But it does mean we begin by carrying, it's so funny, you all can't see each other, but I know who all the hoarders in our church are right now. I see you, I know who you are, keepers of, of newspapers from 1912, get rid of them, collectors of knickknacks and crocheted things, I see you. No, we want to be men and women who purposefully connect with one another so that we can carry each other's burden. The reality is we need each other. If we're going to get through this life well, we need each other. And that person who says, I need no one, is foolish and is harming themselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. I've talked about this before. I love the word harmony. We don't all have to sound the same to make beautiful music. Praise Jesus. Because I don't want everyone to look like this. We can live in harmony. You know what? We're better together. We're better together. So our purposeful connection with one another is because we're actually better together. Not only do we need each other, we're actually better when we walk together. Romans chapter 12, 5 says, So we, through though many, are one body in Christ. Christ is our head, Romans talks about. But the reality is, is we are connected. Whether we like it or not, we are connected. And so we, we want to lean into that connection. We want to harness that connection. We want to get the most out of that connection. We need each other. We are better together. And we are connected whether we want it or not. And so I want us to be purposeful about our connections. When we gather together, I want us to be intentional about what we're doing with one another. I love that there are going to be close to 60 women in Amy's Bible study. That is phenomenal. She told me earlier, well, I really only want about 20 people per group. I'm like, well, good luck. Are you ready to do this like eight times a day? Amy's going to go from eight in the morning till midnight. No, but how incredible. It tells me that there is a longing for purposeful connection. We want to walk with each other. We want to carry each other's burdens. We want to be with each other because we're better when we're together. 
And whether that's being a part of a praise team, whether that's working in the nursery, whether that's part of a greeters group, whether that's working in whatever ministry, whether that's out at the fair booth sweating our minds out flipping burgers. We're better together. We need one another. Those moments are where we bond together. We want to be purposeful about our connection because our connection with one another is what will draw the world because they're isolated. I drive past, I think it's the VFW by the Catholic Church. I forget. It's one of those old things. Ian has commented to me many times. There's always somebody sitting out there at the VFW. Now, I have no idea what goes on inside of the VFW. I'm assuming there's some consumption of beverages. But what strikes me about it is people's desire to be together. There's nothing special about that building. It's not that pretty. (laughs) What's important is the connectedness, the togetherness. I want people to come early to church to hang out. I want people to stay after church to hang out because that's where we experience connectedness and togetherness. We want to be purposeful about our connection. The fourth thing, we want to be intentional about discipleship. Intentional means it's done with intent and purpose. A disciple is a learner, a pupil, someone who is ongoing in their growing in whoever they're following. A disciple has a follower. I love this expression. A disciple implies somebody not that has arrived, but somebody that is learning. I am a disciple because I am a learner, ongoing I don't know where we got this idea you got to be perfect to be in church, but it's rubbish. I want to be a place full of people who are disciples of Jesus. I'm a learner in Jesus. I'm a pupil of Jesus. I'm growing in Jesus, and I'm doing it on purpose. I want us as a church to think about how we can disciple people intentionally and on purpose to bring them from where they are to where God wants them to be because God takes us as we are, but He never leaves us as we are. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim. I could preach on that for a while. Him, his name is Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. There's warning and there's teaching that must go on. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature is an important word. See, our goal is not church attendance. Our goal is not church attendance. Our goal is not who's been here longest. Whoever's been here longest gets to be the pastor. That's not how this game works. Whoever's been here the longest gets to do whatever they perceive to be the most important. That's not how this works because our goal is not longevity. Our goal as a church is maturity. I was thinking about this concept of maturity, and I did a little bit of research because I was like, what is a mature person? I know what I think a mature person is. What does it mean to be mature? It means that somebody who takes responsibility for their own actions, who's capable of facing their problems, whose decisions are made on character, not feeling. Someone who fulfills their responsibilities. That's a mature person. Someone who acts with equanimity. It means uh, Equanimity means you have a, a sort of an even personality. You're not overthrown one way or the other. They act with equanimity. They practice forgiveness and letting go. They don't anger easily. They handle flattery and criticism well, both extremes. They are humble. 
They practice what they learn. They practice gratitude. They seek out wisdom and understanding. Someone who is mature knows their own limits, but they keep an open mind. They understand they don't know everything, and they admit when they are wrong. A mature person understands their influence over others, can prioritize others over themselves, can consider others. A mature person can be flexible. A mature person is resilient, and a mature person has control over their own emotions. A mature person can manage their own life, and they have a good work-life balance. A mature person doesn't use emotions to blackmail people into doing what they want them to do. A mature person doesn't use gossip as a tool to bond with somebody else. Every single thing that I just read came from secular sites. Not a single one. Intentionally, I wanted to go see what non-Christian sites said about maturity. How many of those things are reflected in Scripture, though? As I think about that list, I see almost all of them reflected in who we are supposed to become in Jesus Christ. If we're going to be intentional about discipleship, we're not interested in longevity in church. We're interested in the maturity of those that are inside of the church. So our goal is maturity. When we think about our programs, when we think about what we're doing, when we think about what are we doing in kids' church, what are we doing in youth group, what are we doing in adult service, what are we doing throughout the week, what are we doing in hours, what, what are we doing? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they are older, they will not depart from it. It's not because of age, it's because of maturity. I know a lot of people who are old enough to have children but are not mature enough to have children. Maturity is not dependent upon age. I know some people who are mature enough to have children when they're much, much younger than they should have children. (laughs) Oh, you're killing me. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're just killing me. Our goal as a church is to help bring people to maturity in Jesus Christ. Not longevity, not presence, not amount of times here on Sunday. We want to help people walk into a place of maturity. Now, we believe maturity has an impact. We, it has an effect. But we're going to wa- warn everyone. We want to teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Present them to who? To Jesus. See, my job as the pastor is to give an account for what happens in your life as a congregant. That's terrifying. But my goal for you is maturity, not longevity. So we want to push to that. Intentional in our discipleship. We have a purpose. We're moving towards a goal. That's what we want to build our church out of, intentional maturity. With our children, what does a mature sixth grader look like? We're going to aim for that in our children's ministry. In our our youth group, what does a mature 12th grader look like? I don't expect 7th graders to look like 12th graders, even if some of them do. I know your names. I'm not going to call them because I don't want to embarrass you. You know their names. But maturity is our goal. What does a mature adult look like? Gray hair? No, maturity is all of these things I listed. We want to be intentional about how we disciple people, aiming for maturity. Fifth thing, we want to be creative in our outreach. 
Creative outreach considers the state of those who do not know Jesus yet. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, although that's only verse 22. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. As we build this church, I want us to be creative in our outreach, because we want to become all things to all people, so that by all means we might save some. As we think about what we're doing as a church, I don't want to just do church as usual. I want to be creative in the way that we reach out. I want to be creative in the things that we do because I want to reach some that will never come if we don't get creative. We need to get creative so that they will come and know Jesus. It's not on them to come to Jesus. It's on us to be creative. Paul clearly establishes the principle that I will become all things to all people. That doesn't mean we compromise what's right. But it does mean that we think about what do they need me to become so that I can win them to Jesus. We want to be creative in outreach because by considering the state of those who don't know Jesus yet. We want to be creative in outreach because we understand that we have to go to them. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. It's crazy that we think that people should come to church. And the days of us opening the doors and expecting people to come are gone. If you build it, they will come. Maybe has never been a thing, but... I want us to have a going mindset. We want to be creative because Jesus has instructed us to go. It's on us going to them. That's why I love the fair. Creative outreach embraces our local, national, and global opportunity. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can go to the next one. I want to read this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. We have opportunity as a church to impact those who don't know Jesus locally, nationally, and around the world. I was one of your representatives for 16 years around the world. I was an extension of this church in South Africa for years and years and years. There will be people in heaven because you helped Amy and I get to Africa. We have opportunities locally, we have opportunities statewide, we have opportunities nationally, we have opportunities globally, and I want us as a church to be creative in the way that we seize those opportunities because we have the capacity to touch the world. Maybe you didn't realize, I mean, you are. When you give to missions, you're touching the world. When you give to those who were just like me, who are just like we were, then you're touching the world through your giving. You are seizing the opportunity you have to touch lives in places you'll never go. And that's incredible. God has made us rich in every way to be a blessing in every way. That's what I read earlier. We must embrace our local, national, and global opportunities. And our opportunities are endless to give and to go ourselves. Last one, Holy Spirit empowerment. We will fail 
as we build this church if we don't build it out of the Holy Spirit's empowerment? We'll fail. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I've put verse 16 on the slide for you. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so it will build itself. I don't think I've got the right verse there. That's why. It's 316, not 416. There we go. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It says in the middle there in verse 16, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit's empowerment begins inside of us so that we can be more than we could be without Him. The power of the Spirit is granted to us so His strength and His power may be in our inner being. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that the Spirit dwells within me and helps me to be better than I could be on my own. The empowering of the Holy Spirit enhances everything that I am in Him. When we embrace the Spirit, when we embrace Him, when we invite Him, when we include Him, when we bring Him in, He empowers us, He strengthens and and gives us power in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that we can be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want that. We want to be empowered by the Spirit because it enhances everything that I am in Him. Second reason that we want the Spirit's empowerment is that it, it touches everything that we do for Him. I just read to you Acts 1.8, but I, I want to go back to the first portion of that voice, verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come in you. That word power is, is specifically supernatural, miracle-working power. It's not, any just, it's not like I suddenly grow muscles when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. It is the ability to do things spiritually and supernaturally that are miraculous in nature. When we pray for people, like we did just a few minutes ago, we are engaging in this. You will receive supernatural spiritual power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's speaking here of the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want us to understand that we will do nothing spiritually significant without the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Nothing. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back as I begin to wind this service down. There are six things that I believe we need to build this church up. There's other things, and and the specifics flow out of these things, but I want to recap them for you this morning. If we're going to build with the right material, the first thing that we need is authentic gratitude. 
Second thing that we need is abundant generosity. The third thing that we need is purposeful connection. We need intentional discipleship. We need creative outreach. We need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. All of this begins with authentic gratitude. Authentic gratitude for what He's done. Authentic worship that grows out of that gratitude. I don't know where you are with Jesus this morning. The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that He will save us. John 3.16, I read it this morning, says that God so loved the world. But see, belief is the requirement that whosoever believes in Him. I don't know where you are this morning with Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you maybe have never or haven't for a long time confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you opportunity to do that. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out. I don't want to single you out. I don't want to, that's not cool. (laughs) But what I do want to do is give you opportunity. So I'm going to ask that everybody in the room bow their heads. And that's simply so that we can have a little bit of privacy in a room full of people. It begins with authentic gratitude. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for paying, for redeeming. Thank you for making a way of redemption for me. All it says is that we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. In essence, we have to pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I I accept that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you paid a price for me. I believe that you love me, and I'm inviting you into my life. Won't you come? That's what it is. It's a real simple prayer. But it's profound if it's authentic. It changes you, moves you from being outside the family into the family like I talked about. Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your mind, He's speaking to your heart, and you know you're not in the place of belonging. You're not in the family. Before we close this morning, I want to give opportunity for that to happen. And it begins by just saying, hey, that's me, Pastor Chris. I'd like for you to pray for me. The only way I can think for that to happen is for you to raise up your hand. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you have never or it's been a long time and you need to know you, you need to get right with Jesus, this authentic gratitude flowing from a salvation that comes from him. If that's you, would you raise up your hand with me this morning? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else this morning? For those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're in one of two camps. Either you're not ready to invite him in. That's okay. Or maybe you have. I want to call you back to a place of gratefulness. I want to call you back for just a moment to that place of gratitude for what Jesus did because everything else, generosity, connection, discipleship, Uh, 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 I'm forgetting my own sermon. Everything else flows outside and from that position of gratefulness. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to invite all of us to stand in a moment. I'm going to pray. 
And then I want you to be obedient to what the Lord would have you do. If you need to come and find a place at this altar and take care of some business with Jesus, fantastic. For those of you that raised your hand, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. So I'm going to come down and I'll go off to what is my left and your right. If you would like someone to pray with you, I'm going to plant myself there for a minute. Why don't you come down and meet me and I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. But we're going to stand, I'm going to pray, and then after that prayer, you'll be free to go. But I would encourage you to consider, are you building with the right materials? Are you building with these things I've talked about in your own life? Because we can never do collectively what we're not doing individually. And if you need to find a place at this altar to respond to the Holy Spirit, if you need to find a moment just to have a spot with Him, fantastic, come do that. If you're, if you're good and you're going to go, please go quietly. We, we have great foyers you can visit in there, but allow people to take care of whatever business they need to here this morning. So would you stand with me this morning, please? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to find a spot to the left your right if you want to come and meet me fantastic. If you want to find a space for yourself, fantastic. I would invite you to come even while I'm praying if that's you. And then when I'm done, we can can be released. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Father, this morning I, I am reminded once again of your goodness. I am grateful this morning. God, and out of my gratefulness comes worship. And out of my worship comes connection and service and and outreach. Out of my gratefulness flows a longing for the empowering of your spirit. Out of my gratefulness flows a desire to continue being your disciple. God, out of my gratefulness flows every other thing. But Lord, there are some this morning who have said, I need to make things right with you. I need to get myself right with you. Father, I pray that you would give them the tenacity to come down and find a place of prayer. God, for those of us that know you, Father, that we would have the tenacity to take a moment and make ourselves right with you if we need to get into that space and get right with you. Father, we want to be a grateful people and we want everything else to flow out of that gratefulness. Father, as each of us eventually leave this place this morning, will you go with us? Will you walk with us? Will you help us this week to live, to build our lives out of gratefulness, out of worship, out of connection, out of generosity? out of a disciple's heart, out of a desire to see those who don't know you know you, out of an empowering of the Holy Spirit. Lord, in these next few moments, do what you need to do. And then as we all go, help us to go with you. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.